Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff. I'm a PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm a journalist, and I make coffee, and I sell comic books to people, and I make this podcast, and I uh, pet my cats. I'm Matt. I teach media studies and cultural theory at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. Uh, My research interests are uh, media theory, cultural studies, media archaeology still loving still loving that one and uh for the next two weeks uh very specifically my interests are drinking a lot of coffee teaching a class about coffee so that's wild nice really uh, jittery I'm teaching that class every day every day <laughs> of my life yeah man you're a, you're an expert on it <laughs> yeah I, but still the tipping i gotta say even though i mentioned it several weeks ago canadians continue to be bad bad uh coffee tippers but it's fine. Minimum wage is going up here, so whatever. They can get a yeah, dude, that's, pass on it. That's so awesome. Um, I'm actually uh, doing a little bit tomorrow on uh, the stuff happening with Tim Hortons, and uh, yeah. I think that my students will be very interested to know that the uh, the Fight for 15 worked in Canada, and they yeah, won. Yeah, we won it. We won, so it. That's awesome. won that fight. Yep, going to yeah. have 15 bucks for every hour that I work by the end of, I think it's like this year or something. I don't know. All the details aren't clear to me, which I should probably follow more closely. Um, <laughs> mostly, I just am like, yes, we should have it. <laughs> so yeah. that's pretty cool. Uh, yep. Anyway, Good job, uh, Canadian activists and Tim Hortons. Get your act together. <laughs> Stop being so <laughs> crappy. Right. Yeah, don't be so crappy. Um so this week on the podcast, uh, we don't have any goofs to make because it is a really long conversation ahead with John Thornton Jr. Long but good. Uh, worth it. Worth your time. Uh, and we also don't have any iTunes reviews, which is not uh, not our fault. I mean, I don't want to make I don't want to make the listeners bummed out or anything, but like it's kind of their responsibility. Uh, you know, they're really, really shirking it lately in the new year. So uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> we berating your audience is actually a really good way to start a podcast. I've, I think that's a it's a good listener strategy. Yeah, all um, the media blogs say you got to make sure you you belittle and make fun of people <laughs> who listen to your podcast. That's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, well, here's something we should say. Uh, we got uh, some some new Patreon supporters, like several new ones, in the last few weeks, and that's really exciting and cool. And uh, we don't we don't thank people enough for uh supporting us that way and it lets us get buttons and make cool t-shirts and uh pay people when they make cool stuff for us like amaria's intro that she did um so yeah i mean that's that's a great thing anyway uh there's no there's no good segue here other than to say uh thanks a bunch and also uh thanks to john thornton jr for talking to us about uh being a pastor being a socialist being a socialist pastor and uh, a bunch of fascinating stuff about debt so uh it is you're our first guest of the new year john thorn jr how do you feel about that oh i'm pumped uh i feel like this is uh <laughs> we're, we're getting things started right it feels like 2018, really doing it. That's that's right, really doing it. That's 2018, really doing it. Yeah, man, it's a good tagline, I think. (laughs) The the sequel to Nike. (laughs) (laughs) 
Just do it. Really um, do it. How's the uh, <laughs> How's uh, the year been going for you, John? What have you been up to in this uh, this first couple of weeks of January? Um, just. I was about to say just settling in, which sounds like this is the lamest. Uh, I think I was on vacation with my family for a little while. That was nice. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, who knows what, what's going to happen in 2018? You know, uh, probably some more dead celebrities that we all love. That's going to probably happen. Uh yeah, probably. Is there anyone that you want to vote off the island this year? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I got into a Deadpool of celebrities. And I tried to figure out who's, <laughs> who's going down this year. Um, <laughs> no, I've, just, I, I've been kind of looking ahead as far as I do feel like I've settled into a place where I, I can look at the things I want to read about and think about and write about and what matters and, and nice. actually kind of plotting out a course for doing that, which is not something i've ever done so 2018 the year of books <laughs> just a lot of books just yeah. getting it done 2018 20 litter 18 20 litter 18 is oh dang that's great it's like uh nano remo but all year that's that's right uh nano uh re no I'm trying to work. think of how to end that with There's an no, anno thing. It's nothing. It yeah. No. It's nothing. <laughs> it's over. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, yeah. Uh, year year names have just been on my brain lately. Uh, I, I turned in my dissertation proposal, which was really exciting. And uh, so I'm calling this year 20 Dissertate Teen. I'm going to finish it. That's it's a good goal. one. That's a good name. I think so. Congrats. Not universally applicable, but. Congrats on that, you, though. That's very cool. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm pretty pumped about it, so see how that goes. Yeah, nice. Um, I've been teaching this class. Uh, we have a thing here called Interterm, and it's like uh, it's like a two-week crazy intensive uh, where we do a class in two weeks, and it's nuts. But uh, I've been co-teaching this class um, on coffee and cultural studies, and it's been really fun, so drinking a lot of coffee. Um there's no, there's nothing quite like uh, getting really jacked up on caffeine and then giving a lecture to twenty five undergrads. It's just a real rush. <laughs> it sounds like a rush. Yeah, it's great. You got to, you got to constrict those blood vessels in your brain to lecture for five hours a day. <laughs> yeah, it's really only like four hours a day, but uh, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> only four, so yeah, easy. Um, that's cool. Uh, well. It's a good, it's a good year. 2018, 20 little 18, 20 dissertate 18. Just doing it. We're just, Tw- <laughs> just doing it. 20 caffeine 18. Ooh, 20 caffeine. 20 caffeine 18. Um, just doing it. <laughs> just doing it. Really doing it. Um, here we are. We're really doing this podcast. Uh, pretty pumped about it. We, so I guess if you've listened to this podcast for an extremely long time, uh, thank you, I guess, first of all. But secondly, you'll recognize John Thornton Jr. already because uh, we had him on the show in the bear, in the in the baby stages uh, when we were just learning how to crawl, uh, when we were dunking on Rod Dreher back in the day. And uh, John Thornton Jr. helped us out because we didn't read his book, didn't read Rod Dreher's book, and John did. So he made sure to, to tell us uh, what was really up, what was really going on with the Benedict Option. And uh, here we are. It's actually the only book I read in 2017. I just kept reading it. <laughs> I just kept, kept going back. There's, I mean, you know, what there's other just books a lot of need? stuff to go back to. <laughs> just it just really it really rewards a reading. 
<laughs> it's the kind of book that like in a hundred years it's gonna be a, a classic on every every christian shelf it, it's the, it's the gonna, mere christianity yeah. of our time it didn't even last through trump's election as a relevant book <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that's good uh well I, i'm really glad that you're finding so much material to just keep pouring over um in rodre's the benedict option um all right well there you go that's the perspective of this podcast um real <laughs> real dr- real drear heads over here uh instead of talking about that though we're going to talk about the religious left and i think that it's appropriate to start this year off talking to you john uh since you're a pastor for folks who don't know I guess I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself in a second. I don't want to speak for you, but I do want to say um, one reason it's exciting to have you on is we do a lot of stuff on the show talking about like books that we're reading or talking to academics that think really hard about ideas and concepts and other countries or whatever. But we don't actually spend that much time thinking about like actually going to church, <laughs> like being a regular Christian person in uh, regular Christian circles and worlds and, and practices. So um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a nice kind of change of pace to actually get a chance to chat with someone whose literal job it is to uh, to think about how to um, kind of navigate these spaces. So yeah, I guess maybe uh, for folks who don't know you, John, could you describe a little bit about yourself? What do you do? Um, what what's up? And uh, why did you become a pastor? Yeah, that last question is a big one. <laughs> but my name is. <laughs> My name is John Thornton Jr., um, (laughs) and I am an associate pastor of youth, missions, adults, and other duties as assigned uh, at uh, First Baptist Church on uh, 5th Street in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I've been here for about eight months. Uh, I, before that, was a pastoral resident at a church in Greensboro, um, and so that's that's kind of where I am. So uh, really, like a, th- a third of my job is, or my job is divided up into thirds of youth missions and adults, with that latter one being a focus on on young adults, uh, which is kind of where a lot of my leftism comes in. Uh, but you asked about like why did I become a pastor? Right. I think a lot of it is just my commitment to the church, um, because I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like some, one, just like people wanted me to be a pastor, and that seemed like a good thing to do. Which is like, well, okay, this this seems pretty all right. Um, but yeah, I, I always, I so I grew up in uh, suburban Dallas. My dad's a pastor. Actually, the the pastor that I grew up under, um, for like the first. I don't know if like six, seven years where I was growing up became the president of the Southern Ooh, Baptist dang. Uh, Jimmy Draper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so obviously a long heritage of leftism. <laughs> and political yeah. You, you got that red phone at home straight to the president. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I grew up in church. My, my, a lot of it was my, my dad was a minister, right? He was a minister of evangelism uh, at the church I was growing up in. And, uh, his life like kind of bottomed out before he, right before he became a Christian in his mid twenties, and uh, I always grew up with this sense that, like, very real that church exists to meet people when they are at their worst huh. and to provide a, a better way forward. And then I saw, and then I saw that like in a leadership sense 
in my dad's ministry. Uh, And that just always clicked with me. So, so church like always made sense as a community. I had like a lot of good friends and uh, had a lot of fun in church, but it also, there, there was this idea that, Oh, when things are bad, you go to church and they will make them not as bad. Like they'll, it's a group of people that will work together and, uh, and through like college that I took on more like leadership positions and turned out I was like pretty good at getting people together and moving people to live in a way together that, that, uh, maybe embodied like what Jesus wanted for people. Uh, and that also like kind of tapped into this, this place where if things are, are, wrong or hard like this is the group you go to and so that then led to duke divinity school and uh ordination at the church that i was at in greensboro and now i'm a pastor it's weird to me too that's how i that's how i talk about whenever i introduce myself to people like outside the church i say like i'm a baptist minister and it's weird to me too (laughs) yeah it is it is kind of weird and interesting uh so you grew up in the church you were a pk so there's a lot of stuff going on there um interesting that you like kind of come out of um i mean baptists aren't all like you know reactionary and conservatives but some of them are um but it's like interesting that a very solid number yeah yeah yeah. i don't want to make any sweeping generalizations but yeah like mostly um i don't but it's like interesting that you kind of came out of that background um and like that family background and now you're um, a pastor yourself and you're on twitter and your name on twitter is mark striscoll so um (laughs) so uh i guess how did you um i think uh, a question that's probably just as important and probably just as difficult to answer how did you become a socialist uh, yeah, so, so I've always, I always wanted to, like, figure out how things work. Like, I wanted to, f- like, figure out why things were the way they were. And so maybe some of that's just the fact that I'm, like, I can be deeply insecure. And so, like, if someone, uh, like, I, I, like, I want to know why I am the way that I am and why my friends are the way that they are. And uh, hubris always really bothered me. Like just, just the sort of arrogance, and I, I, I would see that particularly directed at people that were poor, um, and, and and like not accepting these easy answers. So then, like, oh well, you got to figure out why, why these things are the way they are. Why are people treating one another in this way? And um, and you know, my church put me in positions where I was around people that were impoverished where I was uh, like seeing uh, poverty up close going on like mission trips and things like that uh, but I never settled for the sort of like easy answers or I didn't want to settle for the easy answers and so um, yeah so that led me to then question like well I've always like thought if 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 35 random people are doing the same thing there must be something else going on than just they're all making the same decision at the same time. So there must be some sort of answer beyond that. So, hmm. so that made, led me to question systems, right? Like why, why are people acting this way? Why, are, why, why are these outcomes happening? Uh, and then like I occupy was really big. I don't know if that was, was that for y'all? Like, yeah. 
Yeah, right? Yeah, like, sure. yeah, I mean, it, it was this it was a moment thing. where, like, all of this, you know, I'd been on these mission trips. I'd, I'd wor- I was working with, uh, in an after school program with, like, kids in poverty. But there was this moment where it just blew everything to a grander scale. And then I read uh, Mark's Capital and David Graeber's book, Debt, right before Divinity School. And those, those kind of gave an intellectual foundation for being a socialist. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, it feels very similar to my own kind of path as well. Uh, it, it's interesting the way that you sort of articulated it as um, being a Christian kind of put you in proximity with people who were suffering and people in poverty. And uh, there's something about Christianity that kind of puts you in those situations, but then not uh, not many Christians sort of ask deeper questions about why this problem exists that they have to address and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I felt sort of the same way, right? Like uh, I had this intuitive sense that like, well, Christians have to care about the poor. That's what Jesus is all about. It seems like that's what the Bible's about. And the longer you kind of engage that, the more you're, I guess, uh, if you if you take it seriously, I think the more you're sucked into asking questions about why people are poor and not just uh, questions about like how you, I don't know, fix them up and send them on their way or something. Uh, and yeah, Occupy was a big deal for me too. I don't know. I went to an evangelical school when Occupy was happening. That was like a pretty huge thing for me anyway. I don't know. What about you, Matt? Yeah. I mean, like that's, uh, that's like my experience as well. Um, uh, I think that it's, I mean, what you said, what you said, John, that was really interesting is just like that you see the church as a place, uh, that is for people like at their worst. And then like, uh, you also see socialism as something that like tries to deal with that problem. Um, it's a cool negotiation of like the ways that Christian socialism work together. Um, yeah, uh, I was in graduate school when Occupy happened. So I guess it wasn't, it was like a, it was a thing that I cared about for sure. Um, because I was like reading lots of social theory, but also I think my geographical sort of location made Occupy less important to me just because I live in the middle of nowhere and there wasn't like an Occupy encampment near me. Where were you in grad school? Yeah. Um, I went to the university of Illinois in Springfield. Um, so Springfield, Illinois is uh, the capital of Illinois, actually, but it's also not very big. And I lived in even a smaller town just nearby. So um, I like would I would, I would um, drive home every day and like listen to NPR about what was ever happening at Occupy, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. Wish I could be there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not gonna pretend that like I I was living in Nashville at the time, but I'm not gonna pretend that like I was actually engaged in it. But the I mean. Yeah, we still talk about inequality because of yeah, for sure. like that 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 they put something on yeah. the national radar in that way was yeah, is still really impressive. Uh-uh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a true. sense in which like Occupy just like in light just happening like it, it existing in the world and it being a thing that was going on. I mean, is just like uh, it was just like a philosophical text kind of playing out in the streets like that made you think about income and debt and like everyone's uh disgruntlement and that kind of stuff so yeah i get it it was it was important even though i wasn't there i guess it was uh, a thing i thought about yeah going for me it was like going from church putting me in proximity to people that are poor and and then this idea that like yeah the the church ought to be concerned about that because it it sucks (laughs) like uh I mean, it's 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 horribly destructive. And then Occupy gave this like, like I said, it just sort of blew it up for me into this grander scale that I just hadn't thought of before that. Uh, and then and then and it really was. I mean, I read. So I was I was working at a, a private Christian school teaching middle school students, 
and uh, I I don't remember what like I mean at that point I had, like got to reading uh, Marx's Capital, and so I would drive to the middle school. Uh, I was a sub, like I was a full time sub, and I would I would drive to the middle school. I would listen to David Harvey's lectures on on Capital. And then I would read the text while the kids were working on their homework. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, then, and then and then drive back and listen to it. And so it was sort of that combination. It was, it was something like came together for me in that moment. Uh, yeah. Of the sort of analytic side of Marx where you're seeing like, oh, this is actually how capitalism works. Uh, but then uh, actually caring about what it's doing to people and uh, how those all just like fit together in that moment to me was, was where, I mean, I would not have identified as a socialist, which is Mm. a relatively recent thing, but the, the, all of that was happening right then. Yeah. That's cool. Um, That's cool that that was like the backdrop. I was reading, I was reading Hart and Negri's empire and uh, I was like, Oh man, the multitude's happening. (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Some, someday, someday, whatever the multitude is it'll it'll happen i guess (laughs) (laughs) that's right whatever it is uh (laughs) that's awesome um so uh you were just saying like uh, at that time you didn't identify as a socialist but now you do and i am very curious to know what your experience has been like being a socialist as a pastor of a church so you know you you were a christian you became a socialist uh but now you're like your real life pastor a real life church doing stuff uh with with real life average christian folks how does your congregation relate to uh your socialism that's a really good question um <laughs> so so some of it is what's helpful is I, i'm i'm 31 so some of they can just kind of chalk it up to me being like you know young whippersnapper or whatever like a, yeah it's <laughs> like a generational thing and then also i i I don't know. Like, I don't know what the sort of like red scare was like, but I think people, um, they've sort of lost the idea that uh, of immediately associating socialism with like violent overthrow and, and maybe, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I don't know. But like, <laughs> you know, that that's sort of gone. So it's just like, Oh no, it's, for me, being a socialist is about the democratic uh, control of the productive apparatuses of society, and then the spread, the the yeah, the democratic spread of the wealth generated from people's work. And like, that's actually not that like people can disagree that that's a good thing or whatever, or like how how that plays out, or why we should do that, or how we do that. But I found ways to just, you know, it really is about, it, it, that's the goal. Um, and, and then people, and, and I like, I'm not a violent person and I'm probably not even as revolutionary as I should be. So that's, so, so, <laughs> so to some degree, like that's, that's part of it, uh, that, you know, when you sort of plainly state that socialism is about yeah the the uh, about democracy it's about people having what they need um that's that's one way of of navigating it that i've i've found the other one is that just like bernie is really popular and w- whether or not he's a socialist whatever 
it, it has made people think about socialism in a different way and it, it's eased people's tension hmm. Hmm. yeah for sure um it's really interesting to even think about sorry my my experience with church is so radically different it, it's like such a funny idea to even think that there'd be someone who is like any type of political consciousness in charge um or or like <laughs> or a type of political consciousness that's not just incredibly reactionary um i i i mean I get a lot of that uh in my life i mean you know liberals and conservatives for sure but i can't even imagine what it's like to have a socialist pastor it's probably pretty rad um <laughs> Are there any, like, has, have there been, like, any tense moments with your congregation where they've been like, oh, man, that guy better not say that thing again? I don't know. It seems like that's probably a thing that might happen, but I don't really know. What's your experience been like? Um, I don't know. So, so there's, like, this whole thing of, um, I talked to us about it in, like, div school and stuff, this line of, like, uh, people won't uh, care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, which I think is just something dumb people say, <laughs> so no, so that they don't have to actually know things. Um, but there is something to that, like you do, you know. Like w- we can talk about ideas of of the best ways to arrange society, um, but also like I, I would never let that stand in the way of like going to the hospital when someone is dying. Like, those are my pastoral obligations, right? Like, and so... Yeah. Uh, that is, but uh, oftentimes that's used to sort of, like, uh, foreclose the discussion of ideas to... to uh, or, not ideas is not the right term. Convictions. To, like, foreclose conversations about real convictions and organizing for different convictions. The other thing is, like, I sit in my, you know, young adult Sunday school class, and it's growing, and I'm there, and I'm pretty upfront about my political convictions and like what I want society to be like. Uh, and that group is growing and they're not that they're there because they're pretty cool with me talking about those things. Um, Hmm. I've got a guy in the young adult group and like Sunday school group. Who's like Noam Chomsky, uh, Marx. Like he, he's pretty tentative about our church because we're not, doing those things and that's something i try to communicate to others within the church it's like oh yeah th- this stuff mm. is all up for grabs with the the young adults that you want joining the church that's really interesting uh so church leaders out there listening to this podcast inevitably i mean they are, they are <laughs> probably out there um the reasons millennials are leaving the church is because you're not talking about socialism i guess that seems like right. the, the moral of that story <laughs> It reminds me of that story of like when the like when DSA was repairing people's brake lights. Uh, like, I don't know why can't churches get on board with that? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's uh, the yeah, the the left really wants a church, and uh, the church, if you read the Bible, probably should be left. Is my <laughs> <laughs> someone needs to get like a gospel coalition article out that's like why the millennials leaving church because you don't read Acts four three two right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but I've, I mean, yeah, it's it's funny. Like, I don't know. I find that, all, I, like, I talk about debt a lot to, especially young or debt or like money or all this stuff, and it's just not taboo in the same way. And and people, maybe it's because of Facebook and Twitter, and we're just for better or worse plugged into the the way in which our our poli- like our 
political entertainment machinery is actually having this effect. But people, people just aren't scared of talking about this. Uh, at least younger people, like, and they want to, they want a space to do that, uh, and people to do that around, and, but that connects with the faith that they, that, like, for me, growing up in church was a pretty safe place around people that I knew that cared about me. Uh, so if you can combine those two or figure out ways to make them work together, let me know because that's what I would like to do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's really interesting, especially to think back on my own experience as like a young person in the church trying to figure stuff out. I grew up Roman Catholic, but then I took like a really long detour through evangelicalism. And I had some very nice pastors and youth pastors that I loved, um, which is why I kept going to those churches and to those youth groups. Um, But I can't imagine what I would be like now if one of those pastors had been like, yeah, and by the way, all those ideas that you're like struggling with in the Bible um socialists like think about them like that would be extremely helpful actually to have somebody kind of open to like guiding you through the material consequences of what you're actually reading in the bible instead of just like i don't know i guess like anytime i would bring up caring about poor people to like pastors when i was a teen or like a young adult uh the response is always just something like yeah well the bible calls us to take care of the poor and like that's the end of it like you never get a kind of a second reflection on that um so I don't know. Do you find that young people in your church like really gravitate toward that? Does it feel like uh, um, they are being kind of introduced to like new vocabularies through their church that allows them to interact with like the actual material world outside mm. the church in a unique way? Like I don't know. What's your what's your read on that? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question uh, because what I what I try to resist is being too heavy handed with things and like I, I i'm sure y'all see it on facebook like you if you have enough sort of moderate liberal christian friends uh, anything that like trump does basically and then they respond with like rewriting matthew 25 and putting it into just you know like <laughs> uh <laughs> or or rewriting some verse that then yeah it, it just to me i'm interested in the like even something beyond that or like big bigger than that that scripture is addressing uh but that there is a there's a political texture to scripture that we often don't see or don't don't take time to pay attention to and then there's a theological texture to our world that we don't take time to see so like i you asked about like kind of younger people and you so i'm really cautious about just telling the youth in our church and maybe this I, I, you know, I'm really cautious about just saying like, "Oh, you should be a socialist." Uh, yeah, that's probably for the better. And also <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I'm not. Uh, <laughs> also, like, you know, one, like, I went to uh, my youth group was not nearly that effective in uh, keeping my friends and I from like doing the things they <laughs> they didn't want us to do. Right? Um, <laughs> but I do want hmm. them to see, like, what you talked about when they. And I, I relate to that too, like latching up when you, you recognize there's a care for, uh, yet people that are suffering the ills of this systemic injustices of our society, like not rushing in to, to cover that up for them or to, to make that just be okay. And, and actually it's like, no, you should, you should latch onto this and you should understand that like the, 
you're right. That is really messed up. Um, so like my, uh, my part of my job is working with the youth of our church and, um, yeah, yeah, I, I sort of just, I try to just eject all contemporary, uh, political economic vocabulary from what we talk about, but also to use the words of scripture to show like, oh, this is about our real world. So we, um, we talked about the Virgin Mary for mm. four or five mm. weeks in youth group at a Baptist church, uh, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And then, we, and then we got to the, the Magnificat yeah, that cool. and the, we had one week where we, uh, we just read it. And then I said, okay, so who in our world are the high and mighty? And these are like really, they're cool. like they see this stuff. Mm. And so the first answer was the UN Security Council. Nice! <laughs> wow, <laughs> woke, woke teens you've got there. Yeah, man. Real woke <laughs> teens. Oh, they're. I mean, they're. Yeah, they're. They. Uh, yeah, they. They sort of see their world, and I think some of this is like the internet. Like they're taking stuff in, in a way that I was not. Uh, but they, yeah, it was like the rich. Uh, it's like these broad categories of, of uh, I think they said immigration and ICE was one of them too, you know. And they said, mm-hmm. who are the lowly? And they said, the poor, the homeless. Uh, I mean, they, they they had about a dozen on each side, and they were just generally right, you know. So then the next week, we're in a, we're in a downtown church, and so the next week we did this exercise that I called Scripture in the Streets. And uh, we walked, the bus stop is about two blocks from our church. So we walked over there and we didn't like go into the bus stop. Cause that, that can be really, I mean, it can, there's no great way to take a group of students to do a kind of observational exercise. Like that, <laughs> right. That's not a little bit weird, but we, we just kind of hung out across the street and they, um, I said, okay, kind of spread out. And then, what do you see? Like, what's going on here? And they uh, had a couple questions. And then they had the text of the Magnificat, and I was like, which line stands out here? And Winston is a really weird city. I mean, it's like pretty much every city right now. It's becoming heavily gentrified, ton of inequality. Well, so we walked from the bus stop to the Wells Fargo building. We have a ton, like, Hmm. Winston has a ton of finance. And then had them do basically the same exercise. Like, what do you see here? What's going on? And again, I didn't, I didn't say socialism, capitalism. I didn't say even like rich or poor. It's, but getting them to see that, you know, the the language of scripture helps them understand. That it is not about this sort of otherworldly. Oh, it's, it is about an otherworldly thing. Uh, but that otherworldly thing informs how you see and the people that take the bus uh, and the people that work at the Wells Fargo building. So hmm. that was like a long way to go. <laughs> but but again, but I could just give them and be like, okay, you should be a socialist because uh, in terms of income and like you need income to pay for things and everyone should be able to pay for these things. Like, And that's where I hope they get. But uh, but to be able to map the language of scripture onto their onto their world to me is is really important, uh, and that that may be how you get there. There again, there's no like silver bullet. In a, I guess 
what your experiment reminds me of to kind of a lesser but not less important degree necessarily is uh the uh gospel and Salentaname that we've been talking about on the podcast recently um where uh this catholic priest in nicaragua Ernesto cardinal he had these peasants um just read the biblical text and think about what it meant and you know kind of he i think also had this kind of soft way of like leading them to uh i guess see the um the kind of critical and creative uh moments in the text that are uh interesting to read uh in a capitalist society um but the amazing thing is that these folks uh these peasants people who probably didn't read the bible that much before uh, an experiment like that um were you know willing to use that language and those images and metaphors to name inequalities in their own time i think it's really amazing to do that with students and church folks generally um do you find that that's something that uh, your students get really excited about? Uh, do they like begrudgingly drag their feet being like, oh, I got to do this like class assignment or like, well, how that's that something work? I'm also trying to avoid. Cause I think the way it would look like a class assignment is like, um, you know, you have to get the right answers, you know? And so, you know, that's something I've, I've always, or since I've been working with students, um, less peers, it's just like, you have to take their lives seriously that like they can they can see these things and they they can talk about these things it's it's the same thing with i think millennials and young adults is that so often we are uh it's not even like talked down to because it's it's not condescension it's um i don't know just like being preached at or taught as if we just don't know things you know, it's like, no, we're like actual people in the world and we can, we can see things that are going on. We may be right or wrong, but like come to it on that level, not you just don't know. And so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I, I, I want to avoid, cause that was kind of how I was brought up in youth group, which was, it, it was basically, here's how to study for the test, right? Like these are the right answers about Christianity and mm-hmm. God versus like well we're gonna read the bible right. and we're gonna talk about it what what do you see going on here um hmm. i mean i certainly think there are like, right and good things to say uh but but I, th- I think that's part of it is just shifting out of this mindset of being tested uh or being monitored or controlled with regards to the right answers to things which is interesting because once you just so, uh, yeah, I'll I'll tweet the um, screenshot of the the boards of like the stuff that they said were like the high and mighty and the lowly because like oh, they're absolutely right they were they were a hundred percent right. You're kind of coming out of this tradition where you're. Um following kind of like your your dad a little bit and that's pretty neat um but there's i guess like a a pretty long tradition of like radical preachers radical pastors in the united states and elsewhere um do you have any that kind of inform the way that you pastor your church is there is there a um a person i guess that like uh sticks out to you sort of historically that you think of as like a a pastor role model in terms of like being a radical or being a socialist. besides Jerry Falwell, that is, yeah, big, yeah. big chair. Uh, clearly, <laughs> it's my guy. Um, yeah, big guy did not. Yeah, he 
really stood opposed <laughs> to the cultural. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess Will Campbell. Like, if y'all have ever read Will Campbell, Brother to a Dragonfly, is a really great book, and I, I kind of hate the way that um, it, it gets co-opted into a, like a really nice liberalism. But when you think about what he was actually doing, so Will Campbell is a, a Baptist preacher who um, was one of the only like white people invited to to pretty significant moments in organizing opportunities uh, of the civil rights movement uh, but he also was going and preaching to the KKK that they ought to repent um, but doing so in a way that that hmm. um, yeah that they, he thought they might be able to hear uh, but I, I think his his hmm. he has this great uh, story about him where he was at uh, he was at Riverside Church in New York, which is like the Rockefellers built and it's like beautiful ornate sanctuary. And uh, he was there in the eighties and he kind of like made this name for himself about ha- having an understanding of race and racism that a lot of white people didn't. And so, so then by the eighties, he's getting invited, you know, to all these like liberal places to make them feel better about whatever it was they were doing about racism. <laughs> Just what happens, uh, and and he uh, he's preaching there and said, you know, they you all asked me to be here to say like, what should we do about the racial crisis? And uh, he says, you know, like I, I've been to enough of these things that I know that what you really mean is, what should we do about the racial crisis? And then he kind of looks around and goes, and and keep all of this. Yeah, I, that's like hung with me mm. since I I read it several years ago because I think that's that's where a lot of churches are at. Or like what? But I mean, with, with the, the still ongoing racial crisis that exists in America, uh, but also just with what we're dealing with in terms of capitalism and the 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 s- systemic injustice that we see, and I think a lot of churches are asking what can we do about this and keep all of this whether that's a building or sort of my commitments or my theological frameworks it's like how can we how can we change things but also keep everything hmm. okay no i think that's pretty solid though yeah i really like that that turn um i think that's actually a pretty helpful way about thinking about uh I mean, convicting people in general, convicting Christians, because uh, there is a there is a real sense that like um, Christians want to see, uh, you know, that that actual really good Christian change in the world that Jesus talks about. But at the same time, they want to do it without upsetting the status quo. They don't want to actually change mm-hmm. anything, or they don't want to have to like lose their building or um, lose their job or change the type of work they do or anything else. Right? It's um, it's about like. How can we get justice while making sure we're still okay? Right. Which I'm sympathetic to. I, I mean, like, I don't know that I want to sacrifice a whole lot in my life. I don't have a whole lot. To, I don't have a whole lot to lose. Uh, I think where it may be different is is when you can see people who have a certain level of material comfort that, 
like it, it might be okay to lose a little bit of it or just like you're not asking a whole lot yeah um speaking of that actually uh i want to ask you a little bit about the kind of thing that you've been doing with debt in churches and uh maybe in your church community um <coughs> sorry uh because i think that question of debt is exactly that right like how much are people willing to lose how much are they willing to put it to kind of uh put at stake i guess in the interest of some kind of speculative game that may or may not actually pan out uh and then once people get screwed by having so much debt uh how much is their community willing to lose to kind of help other members of that community get out of debt or something like that um it seems like personal finance and individual finance in the united states is so um ideologically like built into our dna that like people are afraid to ask for help or be open about their debt and it seems like churches have kind of a unique potentially unique role to play i mean they in a lot of cases have something like a common purse uh in a lot of cases they have um ways of you know formally like redistributing the wealth of their community uh do you have any thoughts about that like what's your work on debt been like as a pastor as a church member so so far it's been uh just talking about it a lot <laughs> and and but but i mean that that has a a kind of value in just opening up like the forcing it to people to recognize that like oh this is normal for people now that like taking out these massive like the, hmm. the the people that you see in church particularly ones that are younger or have gone to college uh well, just anybody. Everybody's in debt. We have a we have a low income housing uh, project directly across the street from the church, and um, you know these would be the people that like Deleuze says are are too poor for debt, right? Like, but even then, like they get behind on a bill mm-hmm. or something like that, and they're in debt and at risk of getting evicted. So it's it's just affecting everyone, and it's it's the thing that everyone is. Everyone that I know, all my friends are thinking about um, that. It, it was a study um, or a survey where they asked millennials, like, "What are you more frequently scared of, debt or death?" And they said, "Debt." <laughs> <laughs> That's like the worst uh, riff on that Seinfeld joke of like uh, people who are more right. afraid of public speaking yeah, yeah, than dying. Yeah. Like you, you'd yeah. rather be uh, giving the eulogy at a funeral than, or you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. Uh, it's like you'd rather be right. in the casket. Yeah, than yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so it's just it's just sort of there. So I, I've just personally, I've just found like, well, the, there's no reason to not be talking about this because everyone knows everyone's dealing with it, and it it is a significant thing in everyone's life. Like we're all we're all trying to figure it out. And the, and the the sort of answers to it are so paltry compared to the the problem. Well, there's a there's a thing that you tweet about uh, or that you've you've posted about uh, on various platforms, not just Twitter, but you know Twitter, uh, where you, you talk a lot about like finance and like sort of the culture that surrounds it, like for personal finance and. Um, it's interesting to start thinking about like that weird like hushed culture or like the the sort of like um, the the manners of finance. Like you can't talk about how much money you make and you can't talk about your economic situation and it's not polite to talk about debt. 
and all of these things. And that's like, um, that is uh, such a dumb sort of like prohibition that only serves, uh, that only serves one side of the class war. Mm. Like um, not having those conversations, I think is, well, I mean, it's like not being transparent and it's like leaving like a huge portion of your life, uh, like just hidden away. And I think that's really sucky. Um, so I don't know the, the whole thing about finance and sharing where you're at with debt and money is uh really important and if you can share it with your community your church community specifically that's kind of amazing it is funny i mean i think the like don't share about where you're at financially there's certainly shame uh around it for all of us that are are in debt but i think it's more about protecting the people that aren't <laughs> right like i think it's protecting sure. their feelings um yeah and, and I don't know, like, that to me seems like something you ought to be willing to give up if you're a Christian. Your your sort of, your own feelings about, hmm. your own finances or peop, other people's finances. Um, so yeah, so I'm certainly open with talking about it. And then like, uh, Dean, you were saying, I mean, what it- does the church have institutional resources that could be used to alleviate the the fear that people have more than death. Um, and I, I think we do, and I, I, I'm working on mm. some of those things at, at my church of how could we create a kind of common pool that would go to help pay off people's debt. Um, and, and, and other churches have done this. Uh, mm. So it's, it, this is not totally new or innovative, but, but really I've found even just conversation about it, it, it opens up, it opens people up in a particular because then you're talking about the hours that people work and why they do or don't come to church and then you're talking about like what mm. worry like what they're most concerned about and then they're talking about like what do they hope for in their life right like what what is this holding them back from and I mean that's what church should be right the place where you can actually go do those things it's funny because uh, I always think about those a uh, couple of bits in Acts, Acts 2 and 4. Like, the only real uh, information that we get about the early church, apart from, like, some vague, uh, like, stuff about them singing hymns and stuff, is, like, they sold all their stuff and then they held everything together. Uh, it's, like, you can't get more primitive in your Christianity than, like, primitive uh, wealth sharing, I feel like. Um, it seems like it should be an easy sell to people at church. Like, uh... I don't know. What if we redistributed our wealth among ourselves to help folks in our community who are having a hard go of it or have been or whatever. Um, that seems like a pretty good way to get people to come to your church. Uh, <laughs> uh, or like a good way to like, it was a, it was a great church, church growth strategy uh, in acts. Then thousands were added <laughs> to their number. <laughs> they really did it. They <laughs> yeah. 2018 yeah, doing right. it. Uh, that's right. No, I mean, well, <laughs> but but I think it's you know some of it like speaks to just the ideology of capitalism and like how much it's worked its way into it is that like I'll I'll bring up basically what you just said Dean right like we we should just like pay this stuff off for people in whatever capacity I've 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 done this uh, in a in a couple and different ways with like benevolence fund and stuff like that at different churches but then the the, the recoil is like well then they'll just come to church because they're like self-interested and they just want to get something out of it 
which I don't know. I went to youth group because I was like trying to like see cute girls and stuff <laughs> for like six years. There's worse reasons to go to church than these people care enough about me to to <laughs> to pay off my debt, which is the most terrifying thing in my life, right? Like. I mean, people and, and, people do the dumbest things to get people to go to church. Like, oh, we've got a, we have a Starbucks in our church. Like, no, <laughs> pay their debts. That'll get them in the door. God. Right, right. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think it could be purely like a, a sort of church growth strategy, but 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 I, also it's it is something that's so you know it's such a, a big step that you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't yeah. care. Like you have to you have to care. Like, you, you have to, and it probably has to be people that you see around. Because, like, you know, I try to, any GoFundMe that comes up I, on Facebook or whatever, try to just, like, give five bucks or whatever. Like, because you just should, I don't know, you just should. And it'd be great if we had a, you know, a social system that we didn't have to have it come up on our Facebook and people also just didn't have to go into debt or have horrifying medical expenses. Uh, go tithe me, if you will. Um, right, yeah, oh my god. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but like, I think we, I, I think people do actually want that, and that is something that the church offers as a way of thinking about your relationship with with other people uh, that it, that extends beyond just, it's, it's a way of institutionalizing care for other people. Yeah, that once you've done that, you could expand it, right? Like, you could go beyond this community of 100 or 200 or however many people, and then then you're looking at something like socialism, right? Like, <laughs> you're looking at a system that where people are cared for uh, without the immediate need of individual attention. I think, uh, John, John, the point you made... Um about the ideology of liberalism, I think it's so good there, though, that, like, that's, like, kind of the prohibition, that that's what keeps us from getting, like, going that direction, even. Like, I remember, um, man, um, so I went to, like, a Nazarene church growing up, and um, that's all I want to say about that. It was Nazarene. There's, like, <laughs> nothing else relevant about that story. I went to one, though, and I remember, like, the types of rhetoric and language that people would use to kind of describe their situations, or, like, how they would kind of, like, announce their situations to the congregation or make make known that they're having a hard time and it was it would be like um you know pe- people would say things just like well you know just having a really hard time lately but just giving it all to god mm-hmm. and it's like no you're actually suffering like economically like you're having a difficult time like is like tell like i, I just remember being like a teenager in a youth group and like just being like like what is actually happening in your life and how can i help mm-hmm. you um, that was like the internal dialogue. Not, I wouldn't scream that. In church, <laughs> um, uh, but like, uh, but because like Christianity is, uh, just like a, uh, like a broad religious movement with lots of different facets, like it can, uh, be informed and conform to liberal ideology. And I think that like, when we just say we're going to give it all to God instead of actually fixing those problems or actually like finding ways to take care of uh, one another in serious ways, we just, I don't know, fall apart. Yeah, I, I, I um, Stanley Hauerwas, who's a theologian and professor Duke, has this, I mean, really fun little saying that, like, if the church doesn't exist, God doesn't exist. Uh, and I, I, I think I take that to heart, uh, that, like, well, yeah, if this isn't real, then let's just pack, like, why are we even here? Um, and, and so 
the like latching on to those moments of like I mean certainly there there is a point at which uh, human beings and human communities in the face of oppression there is no answer right like it, it like either God is real or just we're we're screwed um, but particularly in the churches that I have grown up in and been in there there's a lot of slack to be made up before you get to that point right like, like <laughs> there's a lot of things that i could be giving up uh that i'm not and that we we as a collective community could be doing or giving up that we're that we're not yet and and that's the point at which i want to get to um does that make sense i think that's kind of what you're like yeah we could do yeah. something about this yeah like, yeah. yeah um um, it just means like reading the Lord's Prayer in like a really serious <laughs> way. Like forgiving forgiving one another's debts means like right. doing it. Really doing 2018, it. Twenty eighteen just doing it. it. <laughs> just doing it for real. Uh, um so I, w- I wanna go back to this um issue of relationships though, because you bring it up in a different context in uh your medium blog, which I uh, am a faithful reader of and which the rest of you should be as well. Um it is very good. You're a very good medium blogger, I will say that. John. Uh-huh. Um, so you, you recently wrote this post about, uh, the transforming power of relationships, uh, is sort of the, the shorthand that you used. And I really liked it. Uh, the short of it for folks who haven't seen it or read it is, um, that there's this kind of idea in many Christian communities that kind of keeps them, um, from thinking about socialism, or I guess maybe functions as like a knee jerk, um, reaction against socialism where people say, and I've heard this like a million times, like, well, I think, uh, you know, the church should be the place where all these things happen. And if we just like had our, our relationships in order and we just like encountered each other, then uh, we would really take care of each other. And of course, the irony is that like empirically that isn't happening. <laughs> so um, I, I think it's great. it's great that you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you really challenge that, I think, by saying, you know, uh, there's more to the world than just. I don't know, two people refusing to shake hands on like a Sunday morning or something. Um, so why do you think that Christians are kind of prone to this idea that like in some kind of imaginary community or something, everyone's nice to each other and that solves all the world's inequalities. How, why do you think Christians are prone to that? And how do you think that like we could communicate maybe a more kind of expansive materialist understanding of uh, why these relationships exist for Christians? I think some of it is, uh, is is historically just like vacating uh, politics from the Bible. So like there's just no uh, or from theology or just the, like that just politics. I mean it's Margaret Thatcher, right? Like there is no such thing as society. That's right. what a lot of mm-hmm. people believe. Is that there's no such thing as society. Like there's nothing beyond uh, your friends, your family, and your church, or whatever kind of community you you can name. Um, I think Christians just bought into that. Uh, that uh, Kevin Cruz book, uh, One Nation Under God, right? Like, he, he documents this really well um, about how this kind of libertarian ideology wedded itself with, with Christianity and churches politically to, to do this. That Yeah, and so, like, uh, a lot of moderate to sort of liberal, I mean, conservative churches definitely think there's something called society and that it ought to function in a very particular way. <laughs> but the counter to that hasn't been, oh no, that it should, there is something called society or the state and it should function in a particular way. 
and it should be this way that's opposite that, uh, it's been to say, no, we actually just don't do politics. We don't talk about politics, anything beyond the community. So, um, yeah, so I wrote that. I, it's really funny because I like wrote that post and uh, it's, it's about how like relationships actually don't really function in the way that we think they do because it's, it's basically like, oh, if you go tutor a poor black kid and you're like a rich white person, that'll that'll do it. Like that will um, – not only will that do it, like right. it will – it's not just that that's enough, but that will actually lead to change. That It, it, it spells out this kind of formula. If you – encounter someone in a relational way uh, or in a relationship I hate it's a relational I always said. if you encounter someone in a relationship uh, in a social <laughs> way that will then change how you think about things which will then change how you act at whatever level of power that you have and that will then have an effect on changing the world and that's it's just it is liberalism which is if enough individuals do the right thing at the right time without any coordination or organization, things will work out. And so, um, so I do actually think there is transforming power in relationships, just not as it's pitched to us. Um, I don't hear anybody who like, Mm -hmm. or I hear few people who become friends with someone who's homeless and then, uh, question private property. Right, like, <laughs> which would be a very transformative thing, right? Uh, <laughs> it's it's mostly it's kind of that will kid. It's like, how can I have this relationship and then also keep all of this? And and that to me is that. But the power of the gospel is that, like, well, no, you don't. You can lose all of this and you still have life. You and and that there is a community that will be okay with that. That will help you through that. That that recognizes it's okay to lose things, uh, but we are here to, to help you through that, uh, to, to show you that we think Jesus is real and is stronger than the strongest thing in your life. And, and so, yeah, so that, that post was like really about the way that, that phrase, the transforming power of relationship really quickly gets, gets co-opted into keeping things the way that they are. And I think I think a lot of it's that all we really have is our thought life and our the people we can see because the systems that we're existing have just won so thoroughly. So what else do you have, right? You just have mm-hmm. you become friends with people and you change the way you think, and then you hope that'll change things. And it hasn't worked. <laughs> <laughs> But that's like, I guess that's why like materialist analysis is so helpful for Christians is because like you can do that part of it and that's awesome. But then like once you understand like the fetishized commodity or like reification or whatever, then you can kind of understand like the deeper material relationships that are separating you from other people or <laughs> really abstracting relationships in different ways. So like, I don't know, Christians could add it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, really I don't know it. how we really do it. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I do think, I mean... <laughs> Because like one of the things I have been, um, we've talked about at my church mitigating poverty, as I've tried to talk about. Okay, so that means getting people who, whether it's a person or a group of people, like raising their income above the poverty level, like that—that's what you're talking about, and and so we can actually measure that and we can see it, and which I think gets to your point about like material analysis because. That that would lead to better yeah. material, you know, 
hopefully lead to better material outcomes. And people just like people <laughs> back off from that. Well, no, we're talking about more than that. I'm like, no, that's just what we're talking about. We're talking about mitigating poverty. It's like a pretty <laughs> big thing in itself. People's income getting above <laughs> the poverty level. That's what it is. Right. Yeah. See, it's it is right yeah. there. Uh, yeah, and so, so I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I do believe in the transforming power of relationships in that it, they, they can powerfully, uh, they, they can and ought to, uh, transform how we think about mm. everything, but it means you actually are required to question everything. Uh, and that, that's not how it's mm. actually pitched. I think it's, is it Dorothy Soleil who's like, <laughs> you become a socialist if you're a Christian because you love your neighbor and then you just question everything. Yeah, that's good. I think that's I think that's pretty much um, right. I think that's probably well, how I well, want to we're coming up to the, the top of our, our hour together. Um maybe we could ask uh, at the end here, like for other pastors who are I don't know, maybe trying to think about how to integrate their uh faith and their politics in their church community. Are there particular things that you feel like have been going really well for you? Are there issues that you're struggling with that you I guess want to see other pastors uh, working on as well. Um, I don't know what what's it like to kind of think that through, knowing there are other pastors uh, um, also hopefully kind of coming to these similar challenges. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna get fired as soon as this airs, so don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> you know I. I, I kind of see, I don't know, maybe like two things. One, I see, and a lot of this is just on, on social media, but also in, in my relationship with other other ministers, is um, this recoil towards a kind of defensiveness and, and like a, um, if your pastor isn't mm-hmm. preaching about X, then you need to find a new church. Um <laughs> And X is always like a really bad thing. Like, and it's and things are really bad. I'm not trying to say things aren't like really bad right now. Um, but but what I, I, I what I think people really need right now uh, in churches is is a a positive vision of what their life could be like. Uh, in in like Matt, you were saying like material terms that like th- this is we understand that this is the thing that is that is really frightening to you uh, everyone i know is a job loss and a hospital visit away from being in complete financial ruin um and so i i, I where i find hope in churches is that we can actually answer that like we like i was saying you know for some reason, it became ingrained in me that like church is the place you go when you bottom out, uh, and people are bottoming out right now. And um, uh, to some degree, to like ignore the the stuff that's flying at us all the time in the like bigger picture, right? Like that uh, stuff's there, and I don't I don't know how to deal with deal with it. But to, to get to the bottom of, like, the stuff that people are just really scared of and find a way to address that, not just in word, but in a sort of communal and institutional sense. Because that's kind of – churches are the last weird things. Like, you can kind of do what 
what a community wants in a church. And that's not an experience anybody has in any of their institutions. None of it, all of us are subject to our workplaces. We're all subject to just being told basically what to do and you can't change. And nobody really thinks it's working for them, but a church actually could. And, uh, I don't know if we'll do it, but I, I I don't know where else to go. I really don't know what other institution or community beyond that's beyond like a half dozen people that that could actually stave off some of these things that are really troubling people uh, and that are really destroying people's lives and then actually be for them and and for their lives. So that's what we should be thinking about and looking for, and and it. It doesn't look like sermons that are just condemning the latest bad thing, but that are actually calling forth a better world on the large. That good to me. Dang, that's scale. like a really good pitch for church, though. That's yeah. like a that I will show up that Sunday. Like, yeah, no, for real. But like, if everything else, like, I mean, like, like you said, right? I mean, like, in our everyday life, we're beholden to banks and we're beholden to our job and our debt that will follow us around even if we die or whatever. Right, church is the thing that exists that like doesn't. It's actually wild to think about that like. Hmm. Well, I mean, like our our life is so fundamentally mediated by capital and the relationships right. of exchange. <laughs> yeah, and, like church isn't. Yeah, it's it's Usually. not. It's the it, and you can just show up. Like it, you, it's the weirdest thing. It's like the one. It's one of the last like voluntary organizations. Um, I had a friend, uh, leftist from Duke, who uh, was in the literature. She was like, "How do churches earn money?" And I was like, "People just show up literally every week, <laughs> and they put money in a plate." <laughs> and it didn't. It didn't feel weird to me to say that until I was like, it was, "The words were coming out of my mouth." Um, but yeah, it's, it it is one of like the the only spaces that you can show up in is it's it's kind of weird and you just don't know what's what it could be uh and and i'm not like trying to say all churches are good or that we aren't beholden to the kind of ideologies that are working our world but we don't have to be uh and i don't know i don't know what that will i don't know what that will look like but there's at least a possibility there with church that i don't see happening anywhere else yeah, keep Christianity weird. 20 imagine eighteen. Really doing it. <laughs> really getting it done. Really getting it imagined. Really, really doing it. I cannot remember it for the life of me. I think I've said it three <laughs> ways. So that's fine. Doing it hey, really. I'm really, I'm really doing that. I'm really changing it up. Twenty eighteen. Change it up. That's good. That's a good uh, subtitle to twenty eighteen. Yeah. 2018, uh, yeah, colon, like really doing it, colon. Colon, uh, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Well, thanks, thanks, John, for coming on the show. Uh, find John on Twitter at John Thornton Jr. Dot Is that how Twitter works? Com? I don't think that's how Twitter works. Twitter. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> uh, also, your, your medium, which I presume is findable via your, yep. your Twitter, but uh, the medium is good. Thanks. Check it out. Thanks, guys. It's been really fun. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Magnificast. Uh, thanks again to John uh, for all that cool stuff you just did and joining us for a conversation. 
Uh, special thanks to Amari Armstrong for those real, real dope beats at the beginning. And also thanks for uh, the song at the end here to the Illogical Spoon because we use it all the time. And like we said last time, didn't ask them. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, if you liked what you heard here, you should go follow us on Twitter to hear, uh, well, see more funny Christian communist related content. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook. You can get in our Facebook group, The Magnificast Basement. A lot of people have been enjoying that lately, but we haven't really had much of a conversation there yet. Maybe that'll turn around in the next few weeks. Or maybe it won't. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> really doing it. Really doing it. 2018. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, also, you can follow us on SoundCloud. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Subscribing to us on iTunes would be great. Giving us those reviews. That's how we keep those good goose at the beginning coming, is your, your good reviews. <laughs> so, uh, cool. Anyways, uh, here's the illogical spoon. See you next time. Then we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no damn between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Jackson, you keep your hoods up. Well, you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early Besides, what else are you gonna do? As we kissed in the alley by the Michigan theater Fall snow was blowing in the lights of the downtown Saw a spark in your eyes, I just spoke it Said we're gonna turn this whole place upside down then you said, my dear, do you really mean this? I said, I only know what I feel right now. I said, poets lies, sometimes come Tuesday, wake me, where see what we can do. Poets lies, sometimes come Tuesday, wake me, where see what we can do in my town. Get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, you keep your hoods up. Well, you keep your hoods up and you stay up late in Jackson. You keep your hoods up. Well, you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. This is the kind of town folks get stuck in. Yeah, people get stuck here, but I chose to stay. If you ever want to know something, Oh, no, some place you just can't know them all. At some point, you must make a choice and choose some place. 
and make a home. There was a time not long ago when we'd look out this window and see a wolf pack running free. Except there'd be no window or this building separating us from all the life we see. Behold, the Lord makes all things new, and that sounds good. I want to do it too. Oh, dear God, destroy my city. Make it a place that wolves think pretty. So when I come back here and stay, I want to hear a house someday. In my lifetime, in my place. For my body's down in the grave. For my body's down in the grave, in my place. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation, never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. In Jackson, I don't want to get up for church in the morning, your church up. in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church, we'll meet down by the riverside. Well, Jackson, there we'll swim with all yeah, creation, you keep your never up. get tired, never but bored. Keep your Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Bunch of hoodlums See the skies are always gray Just like the ground Of post-industry Ruins we grew up around Hope to my neighbors Family and old friends Hope to all desperate And be down And be down I'll be down Groans of the dying are trying to rise from the sprawl Souls of wounded sing hoarsely if they can at all We all love leaves colors, we siders of the fall Till it turned technique perfecting winter on Whole earth now saw one big subdivision Icy cold though I'm told can be melted by God We drove looking but left and went into a dish Walked by and God's house couldn't tell which was which Just watch as this whole world gets worse Now we're told, blessed to those souls who for justice thirst But that you'll quench this, they all told me, be sure You're the one to start the fire for your fire So here, I don't want to go out like no prophet so bad See, Bell never showed up, though it danced in the yell
mercy me maybe holy be we all need you you know us i hope that's grove of oak leaves where faith's fire could blow But it's so hard out here in the cold When it seems all we do is just wait and get old It's so hard out here in the cold When it seems all we do is just wait